Welcome to the WFO Life Podcast. Buckle up for interviews, insights, and practical discussions, and the occasional intellectual oddity, all designed to help you master self, master craft, and accomplish any life mission. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the WFO Life Podcast. Today we have another episode uh, along with uh, my co-host, Lieutenant Colonel Chris Story. I think this one's going to be short and sweet, but I think it's going to be impactful for most people. Chris, how are you today? Doing great. Uh, you know, can't get enough uh, knowledge, so we hope to share some of the stuff that we like, uh, and and hopefully others like it too. So let me set this up for you. This episode, I want to talk about a pearl that I pulled out of Napoleon Hill's book Think and Grow Rich. Now, I always preface, and I feel like I have to preface this about this book. When you hear the title, to me, Think and Grow Rich, you think it's something about money. And yes, he does talk about making money and being successful. But what's interesting is rich can come in many shapes and forms. It can be, you know, friendships. It can be quality relationships with family. It can be what it can be money. Uh, It can be knowledge. There's so many ways to be have an enriched life. And the more I've gone through this book, I've I've dissected it and I've read it several times. And I I find that I keep drawing myself back to certain areas. And I think we're going to end up doing these little short vignette type uh, podcast over these because I'd love to see your feedback on this. So let me set this up again. Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Uh, We're in Chapter 8 where he talks about decision, the mastery of procrastination. So what I want to just do is just jump right into this, some of the things he throws out. Uh, and these are, think of it as thinking skills. And think of it as better ways um, to lead your life so that you uh, make quality decisions uh, and you get the most out of things you're trying to do. So with that, let me go ahead and jump straight into it, Chris, and then we're going to bounce this back and forth a little bit, okay? Sounds good. All right, so first off, he states in this chapter, the majority of people who fail to accumulate money sufficient for their needs are generally easily influenced by the opinions of others. They permit the newspapers and the gossiping neighbors to do their thinking for them. Opinions are the cheapest commodities on earth. Everyone has a flock of opinions ready to be wished upon anyone who will accept them. If you are influenced by opinions, When you reach decisions, you will not succeed in any undertaking, much less in that of transmuting your own desire to make money. What do you think of that? You know, this one really kind of hit me like a ton of bricks when it talked about, um, and I think what he's getting at, almost overvaluing or being influenced by the opinions of others. Because I think it's something that uh, we almost take for granted, you know, in some cases just, you know, I hate to say it, but giving more credence than what they deserve on, you know, people's random opinions. I completely agree. And he goes on with another very impactful statement after this. This whole section is just like very, very lots of pearls. He states in the book, if you are influenced by the opinions of others, you will have no desire of your own. Keep your own counsel when you begin to put into practice the principles described here by reaching your own decisions and following them. Take no one into your confidence except the members of maybe your mastermind group. So I want to pause there again. I love the fact that he's emphasizing to people, you have your own thought process. You have a brain like everyone else. Your brain is not lesser than someone else as long as you educate yourself and prepare yourself to make good decisions. Yeah, this really reminded me of um, 
how we set up the Marine Corps planning process and, and really the team of people that's very, um, I guess, hand-selected because of their subject matter expertise. And by, by being deliberate about uh, something uh, like that's important, uh, like a decision for uh, military planning or life planning or business planning, I think when you select somebody because of their, I, I guess I'd say, pre-qualified uh, subject matter expertise, I think you take some of that second guessing of their opinions out of it somewhat because they are there solely um, for uh, their background. And that reminds me of that mastermind group because we have essentially built in mastermind groups. So you're, you don't have a seat at the table if you're not there for a purpose. Right. You have some specific knowledge that can contribute to the, the overall mission. Yep. So I won't read all of the next section, but beyond after the mastermind comment, he goes on to talk briefly about how close friends and relatives, although they don't always mean to, sometimes throw in their own opinions that can dissuade you or affect your own thinking. And he does say, uh, quote, thousands of men and women carry inferiority complexes with them all through life because of some well-meaning but ignorant person destroying that destroyed their confidence through, quote, opinions, end quote, or ridicule. I think this is really important to mention because in my work, I, I work with a lot of people that I can see the pathology sometimes of their families, of their family dynamics and the things and the themes that they were taught. Sometimes people go through their lives taught things that their parents picked up that aren't true, such as, you know, attitudes about money, attitudes about wealth attitudes about how to raise children uh, you know what what it means to work uh, you know a work ethic all of these things can be very different uh, and and sometimes people just because they're around family members that don't see the value in whatever their vision is the the ridicule or of opinions of of even people that are well-meaning can really impact them yeah so many thoughts come to my mind about this. Um, and primarily is if you're confident and competent in um, your own skills, and that gives you, uh, I, I guess, um, I guess some self-efficacy is like kind of a fancy way to put it, where, where you know, uh, like in your case, in the medical profession, if somebody, like you mentioned, people that have – uh, you know, you know their background, or you know some things about their family or their worldview, and they tell you something. Uh, say, for example, in your case, that it is a, a medical opinion that is in your wheelhouse. Or if somebody told me, you know, something they knew about the Marine Corps, and uh, I knew, you know, with a hundred percent, you know, accuracy, I'd put my life on it uh, that they're wrong. It, it, it gives you, uh, I guess, a way to take those. Um, unhelpful opinions with a grain of salt. But when you um, are not competent or competent in a, in a subject matter area, then that can kind of, uh, I guess, uh, put some chinks in your armor, so to speak. So I think that, you know, the, the, the theory of having a mastermind group or this group of people that you know are going to uh, tell you the truth, that you know you can trust, 
Um, and you know, maybe not clouded by personal relationships. Like there's people that you're friends with, but you know, they're not going to kind of blow smoke up your butt to use a, you know, colloquialism there. But, uh, you know, it's important to, to have those, uh, those trusting relationships. And, and I think you can have family and friends that are in that mastermind group, but you can't just sprinkle it in willy nilly. Like, unfortunately some people do. Exactly. So back to the book. Napoleon Hill comments, You have a brain and a mind of your own. Use it and reach your own decisions. If you need facts or information from other people to enable you to reach decisions, as you probably will in many instances, acquire those facts or secure the information you need quietly without disclosing your purpose. I want to pause there again because I think that's really important in business for anyone that has a a big idea or maybe if you're in a work environment where you, you know, maybe in in a group where you're trying to formulate your own opinion or your own initiative within, say, an office group setting. You know, I know there's a little bit of one-upsmanship that goes on in some of those settings. You do want to put yourself in the best light. You do want to show yourself to be a person who has initiative and good ideas. Well, if you just go and um, get information and keep telling everyone else what you're doing, uh, then sometimes somebody else will steal your thunder, so to speak. Yeah, and I think it's... um it becomes, I think, exponentially bad when somebody has, uh, you know, not the, the most altruistic motives. And on top of it, they're feeding all this information that is giving you an inferiority complex, you know, when they could be just full of BS and they're trying to make themselves look good and, and bring you down. And, and I thought it was, you know, telling what, what he talked about that sometimes these opinions that are not helpful to begin with can create inferiority complexes in people, which is, uh, you know, you think about that. I mean, how many, uh, you know, personal relationships and, and businesses have been ruined on, you know, bad opinions when you're, you're not really listening the, the right way to the right people. Roger that. So in the next section, I want everyone to think about social media in the back of their mind as I read this. Even though this book was written in the 1930s, it seems so timely. So back to the book. It is characteristic of people who have but a smattering or a veneer of knowledge to try to give the impression that they have much knowledge. Such people generally do too much talking and too little listening. Keep your eyes open, keep your eyes and ears wide open and your mouth closed. If you wish to acquire the habit of a prompt decision, those who talk too much do little else. If you talk more than you listen, you are not only deprive yourself of many opportunities to accumulate useful knowledge, but you also disclose your plans and your purposes to other people who will take great delight in defeating you because they envy you. <laughs> think about social media. What do, you, what do you think of that? Well, I think it's um, – I, I definitely see the parallels of social media, and, and it's sad really that especially younger people, uh, there's a lot of data that shows – that the amount of time that you spend on social media, the number of posts, the number of selfies that you put on there, um, you know, reflect something about you. And, and I, I just, growing up when we did, I can't imagine uh, somebody posting something online or making a comment or not liking a post that you thought was, you know, particularly poignant, that that's going to, like, 
physiological or like psychologically impact you as a person. And I'm like, wow. Uh, it's, uh, it reminds me actually of a, a comedian that, that, uh, was talking about how sensitive people are and how, how movies and, you know, people get canceled because something's offensive. And, you know, he, the, the comedian makes the point of this saying, you know, somebody asked me, are you, were you offended by that movie? I can't believe they made that. He's like, was I offended by a movie? You mean something I, you know, mo moving pictures that I saw on a screen? He goes, I couldn't be offended by a movie unless they were talking shit about me personally in the movie. <laughs> you know, and so it reminds me of that where people will get online and, you know, be a keyboard warrior or, uh, you know, make a snide comment. And it's like, you know, people wouldn't say that to your face and, and you don't know what they're dealing with or they could have had, you know, six drinks and not even remember that they put it. So I think giving more weight than you should uh, to people's opinions uh, is is become kind of a scourge of our society because people, especially now with the, the COVID quarantines, I mean, even people that weren't uh, online a lot now, I mean, that's the only outlet they have for social interaction. So I, I just feel um, sad in a way for especially young people that are having their entire sense of reality. And some kids commit suicide from being cyber bullied, and, and which, you know, is just... I can't even put my head around that. So I think that the, the fact that this was written back in the thirties is crazy because there's so many parallels that we can draw today. So. I agree. One of the other things that struck me about this and, you know, he talked about there's so many people that do a lot of talking and they have a veneer of knowledge that strikes me a lot. Whenever I see social media, especially about science, uh, medical, you know, COVID topics, things like that. There are a ton of things that are floating out there that, people cling to and because of lack of training lack of uh, lack of depth of knowledge in the subject they don't see bs from fact and they also put too much weight on things that don't um that don't really have as much validity as they they're given credit for and i think that's what really struck me when i read that i, I thought yes that is happening so much that opinions are becoming, you know, fact or, you know, being passed off as fact. And not only that, we have, you know, we have science in many, many areas is becoming some sort of consensus situation. Like, like consensus is not science. That's just a bunch of opinions, people that agree on one thing. That doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really careful thing that when somebody... I just love these topics we're doing like this one that teach people how to think, how to consider what decisions they make and how what they accept is a fact or fiction uh, into their own mind. It, yeah, and it, it's um, it's even more baffling because we have so much uh, even you know unbiased empirical information that's available. But I think sometimes people are intimidated and say, you know, I can't go directly to a national Institute of health or a, um, you know, new England journal of Medi uh, medicine article, uh, which is not really true. I mean, obviously there's certain, you know, terms and, and things that we, us laymen will not understand, you know, specifically on the, you know, COVID topic, but you can 
see an article in another news source and then go to those other, um, you know, empirical sources and say, hey, well, I can, you know, read this chart when it's just data and it's not really saying what I heard in this news report. So I think that gives, you know, some people uh, like a, a Reagan doctrine for, you know, this COVID science, like trust but verify. You know, if you see one source or if you see somebody just, you know, interpreting in, um, a study, you can go directly to that study. When you think about when we were growing up, I mean, how hard you would have had to go to the library and look at microfiche, you know, to, right. to, try, to try to get some of that. And and, and I, that's what I do a lot is like I try to you know, monitor some media sources and then like, a, and they said, you know, a CDC report once showed and you know, that there's, as the saying, you know, goes like there's lies and there's damn lies and statistics. So you can, <laughs> uh, and, you know, you, you can, you can make and interpret statistics in so many different ways. But if you go to the source yourself and you're like, well, uh, you know, it, because you might hear, you know, X number of people died, you know, in this demographic of COVID. And then you look at it and it's like, well, actually it shows that, you know, 10 times that many actually recovered and had minimal symptoms, you know? So, I mean, that's a good example. It's like, okay, if you, if you hear like, uh, you know, thousands of people died, you're like, oh, that's terrible. And, and it is terrible. You know, each of those cases is, you know, somebody's loved one, but um, in totality, and you're like millions of people potentially are showing that they had antibodies to this that it never really got sick. And so it's like, yeah, it, it's something to be concerned with, but not this gripping fear that unfortunately I think is influencing some policies, you know, with schools not opening. And um, it, it's it's one thing if you're in a hot spot and you say, hey, temporarily we're going to be online until we're, we're completely in the green. I mean, that's smart. But I mean, if you're in an area where your, your curve is already flattened, uh, you know, all the procedures are in place and you look at the data showing that kids which is amazing because kids are a walking Petri dish. But if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at places in, you know, China and New Zealand and all, I mean, you're like, wow. I mean, the kids are not even really spreading it to each other or the teachers at all. So, I mean, if we just use the data and take emotions out of it, you know, maybe we shouldn't be making policy decisions based on, you know, junk science. So it's kind of scary. So yeah, that's it's that's the that's the kind of rabbit hole I tend to go down whenever I you know look at some of the things I read online and, and you have to really get into the weeds and, and more importantly, go back to what this uh, wisdom is teaching us about decision-making and how we, we gauge what we take in as fact or fiction. I'm going to go a couple more things into the book and then we'll kind of close out. He does mention here, I like this quote, genuine wisdom is usually conspicuous through modesty and silence. Most of the really smart, you know, some of the smartest people I know are tend to be quiet and thoughtful when they speak, uh, and they uh, consider what you've said, and they tend to use less words to express a broader concept or bit of knowledge. I love that. Yeah, that I almost to a person when I think about the smartest, most trustworthy people I know, almost all of them are like that. Um, you know, because if, uh, actually I'm thinking of one good example right now, and I'm probably going to get on online and send him an email after we're done with this. Cause I'd love to have him on. But, uh, there was a guy that was, I think at that time, and maybe still the, he was one of one. He was the only person in, in the entire world that had done the exact things that he did. And a lot of them that I knew of were crazy hard. 
uh, he was, he had been enlisted Navy SEAL and then he got out, became a Marine officer, became a fighter pilot, and then became one of the first F-35 joint strike fighter pilots. And so, and so, I mean, you talk about, I mean, the heart, I mean, literally the hardest things to ever get through just by the, the sheer numbers, you know, to, to make it through SEAL training and then to be a Marine officer and then go through flight school and be essentially top 10% and be, become a, a fighter pilot and then be one of the first ones selected to go become a stealth fighter pilot. Um, right. I mean, I mean, just incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And he, yeah, I mean, he was an aw- and that guy. I somebody else had to tell me that he that he did that he was that guy because he he just wouldn't, um, he, you know. And, he, and it's funny he didn't even wear all the stuff that he could wear on his uniform. You know, he just right. he, he wore his normal he naval walk with all the medals. Yeah, I mean, he just wore his like in terms, especially wings, because being a seal, yeah. you know, he, I'm sure he had gold jump wings and all kinds of other. He right. only wore he he only wore his wings for you know what he was. You know, right then, and other right. people wear every booble, a uh, booble, uh, bu- 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 every scuba bubble and <laughs> pair of jump. I mean, you just got like, especially. I hate to say it, but my army brothers and sisters are terrible about that. They'll have like seventeen sets of things that go all the way up to their collar epaulets or, or their shoulder. You know, and it's like, man, you know. Uh, but anyway, I digress. But uh, <laughs> that, that, yeah, add some humor to it. Army but, uh, Yeah, it's like, sure, that's not stolen valor. What the hell yeah. is all this stuff? <laughs> Just, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he reminds me of the the I guess the epitome of what you're talking about. Where I mean, that guy should be allowed. You know, he should be Maverick times ten. But the dude just did his business, gave his opinion, and walked out of the room. But um, I mean, I see that time and time again. Like if you know you got the goods, you don't have to uh, run your mouth too much. So absolutely. Before I close out, I got I'm in my final kind of few thoughts on this, and I'm going to let Napoleon Hill close us out. Uh, any final thoughts on this episode so far? You know, we've kind of covered some key factors in decision making. We also have made some really good points about how we have our own mind, and we shouldn't let other people impact us. And obviously, uh, already starting to the the closing point, which is we should listen more and talk less any final thoughts i'll just say um reminds me like many things we talk about do of a a stoic thought um you know i'm not going to read a quote but essentially it says you know we'd like to think that we care about ourselves and our own well-being and uh, you know look out for number one so to speak but if that's the case, why do we give so much credence to the opinions of others that, that really don't necessarily even care about us or have our best interests in mind? So I think some of the points that you hit on in this episode and you teased out of this book show exactly that. It's like, hey, you know, trust but verify, you know, trust your own instincts and, and build yourself up you know, versus letting the opinions of others give you an unnecessary inferiority complex. Absolutely. I'm going to close out with the final little part of this section uh, that Napoleon Hill wrote because I think it's fairly powerful. And then we will close out and uh, join everyone again next week. And I'm going to say here, this is back to the book. Let one of your first decisions be to keep a closed mouth, open ears and eyes. As a reminder to yourself to follow this advice, it will be helpful if you copy this epigram in large letters and place it where you will see it daily. And in quotes, he says, 
Tell the world what you intend to do, but first show it. This is the equivalent of saying that deeds and not words are what count the most. Chris, it's been great. Uh, we'll talk with you soon, and I look forward to others uh, commenting on this in the Future Focus Health Network under the WFO Life Podcast Tribe. Uh, and as always, uh, hope you will share our content and with anyone you think this would be helpful for and uh, give us some likes so that we can reach a broader audience. Have a great night. You too. Thanks. Thanks.